Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. have some pretty important topics to get into, two of which are follow-ups, one of which we haven't gotten into yet. You might have seen Tom Rents talking about this quite a lot on Twitter. And, well, we have talked about it in a, in a few different ways, but not the specific point that he's been raising in regard to proving that the mRNA injections have already been used on livestock. But there's also the discussion we've had about dog, animal, you know, feline dog, different, you know, uh, what does somebody call it? Uh, fe- animal companion injections using mRNA. And as far as we can tell, these things have already been rolled out, which is very surreptitious when you think about it because of how untested these very clearly are when you understand the reality of the situation and how they have continued to fail and hurt people. And then we know that they've been shown to spread and shed. And these are there's a lot of concern around this and whether or not this is clumsy profiteering or something much more nefarious in regard to spreading something that's necessary for an agenda. We should ask these questions. We're going to get into that at the, the, the last segment of today, but the other two we're going to talk about are important follow-ups. We're starting today with the East Palestine conversation and not just the, the continual focus on the fact that the dioxin, PFAS, and just every other problematic chemical toxicity situation in East Palestine has been ignored, overlooked, lied about, and still to this day, they act like everything is fine. As everybody continues, again, I shouldn't say as a lot of people as far as I can tell, the majority in the town of East Palestine continue to have some type of symptom. If you have the CDC show up and half of their own crew gets sick a month after this is happening, which is what happened with all the same symptoms, which just so happened to be the same symptoms that you would expect based on the CDC side effects of the chemicals we're talking about. But apparently they still can't wrap their mind around how that is what we're talking about. And even CNN argued it was probably fatigue or it could have been, which is really insulting. But we're going to talk about not just that continual problem, but the fact that a dump truck that was shipping waste from the area spilled in Ohio, in the Columbiana area, which is, of course, the area we've talked to in regard or talked about in regard to the animal shelter who spoke up right in the beginning, saying that people's animals were getting sick as they told you that wasn't happening. The the very disconcerting part of this is that we know they haven't been testing for dioxins, PFAS, and arguably other chemicals that were on the truck or on the train, excuse me. So when this is shipping without being tested properly, that means they don't really know, or at least either they don't know what's actually on it because they don't want to, or they know and they're not telling us. Either way, they're being shipped to places that aren't even able to deal with what we know is in there. And I've proven that on this show, and I'll give you the data and the information to look for yourself. So that's one thing. But if we know this has, if it's toxic and we know that there are chemicals like dioxins and PFAS that they can't deal with properly, and this got spilt and it's spilt on the way or in other areas, that means that area is likely contaminated, but they're already being told there's nothing wrong. I'm very concerned about how this is going forward and whether this is just absolutely, I mean, I don't believe it's incompetence. I believe it's pretty easily verifiable that they know what they're doing. And it's the very least trying to avoid accountability for the EPA too. I believe there's a bigger problem here. The realization of of the fact that the EPA is is aware and has been for decades that there is a background problem that's dangerous, not just problematic, but dangerous. 
well above the safe levels of PFAS and dioxins can be found in most places in this country in a background area that we're now suddenly finding out. And they suddenly start making articles about, hey, there's a problem. We should care <laughs> now that we're all paying attention, which means they seemingly have known about this. And the EPA, I can prove to you and I'll show you today, has known about this and has written articles about it. There's been studies about it. There's been legislation passed about PFAS, and yet they don't seem to want to test for it when they're moving this shipment. I mean, it's it's criminal. They'd always rather be seen as incompetent rather than criminal, and that's how this game is played. Let's not forget that the Dark Horse podcast point that was made, and I want to reference them because that's the, that's the place that I saw it first, but I think, I'm sure other people have made this point, which is that the corporate perception here is that you can maximize, minimize your liability by maximizing human pro- suffering with a problem if you spread this out as far as possible. So it becomes blended in with the background noise, which is, by the way, what the EPA said about this. They said that, no, well, the doc, we don't know how to test for this because the dioxin levels are kind of similar to the background level. But that course got misrepresented by all of the corporate media. I would rather, I would argue, intentionally obfuscated to, to it's not dangerous or rather that the levels are below dangerous levels. That's not what they actually said. And I think that's the crux of the point, that they don't know how to deal with this. And so if they admit that it's, yes, it's the same as the background, but the background's deadly, dangerous, cancer-causing, well, then they're going to start going, well, why haven't you been telling us this? Why haven't you been doing anything about it? There's a lot to to digest in all this. Back to the original point, they're shipping things to places they can't deal with with what they know is inside of the waste. It just spilled. How many other places is this causing a problem for? How many other places is this increasing the risk for? And do they know that they're doing that? I think these are fair questions, and I think this is going to begin to come out, especially as you're going to be probably shocked to see that what we're going to read today, not to say that we're blindly trusting what's being written in the Huffington Post, which is like the last thing we would ever do on this show, but that it's even in corporate media, corporate, corporate media like the Huffington Post or The Guardian are clearly now pointing at the same thing. The same thing that 30 seconds ago we were being called conspiracy theorists for talking about first, long before the corporate media. And now suddenly this point is filling the conversation in the corporate media. Now, why is that? These are questions we should be asking. Now, I want to quickly start off with just one point that I want to share because you guys might have seen this. I'm going to probably follow up on this at some point, but there was yet another shooting. And the and the point that, that DC Drano here is making is that, and this is a fair point, that yes, this shooter is another person that pronoun pronouns in their profile, a history of anti-Trump posts. Now that matters only, in my opinion, in the context of how one side of the false paradigm is trying to make it out to be only right wing, blah, 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 when in reality you can see that it's just government manipulated people. Now, even DC Drano is probably not going to want to point out the other side of that coin, which there are those two, but nonetheless, it says. My point is, I wanted to make sure this got seen, one, because of this, I think that's interesting, but also that this was another one of these shooters that, that you know, essentially, uh, well, I, I want to make sure that uh, this one just popped. I, just to be clear, I use this as like a, just a precursor, so I remember to point this out. I'm right now realizing, wait a minute, maybe this was another shooting that happened after that. I was assuming this was the one that just happened recently. No, it was Louisville. Okay, so it's Louisville right there. So the point was, as far as this person, as I understand the situation, that's my point I'm going to follow up, was live streaming the whole thing, which has happened before, right? Facebook live streams in the past. And what always happens after that? Pushes to restrict live streaming, to be able to execute in real time shutdowns of live streaming, which by the way, they already do. It's happened to me before. But this is more about controlling the flow of information through our medium. Not to say that we can prove that was 
just, you know, orchestrated, hoaxed, manipulated that way, which is, we should ask. Those are fair questions. Was this a complete government psyop? That's a fair question because we can prove it's happened before. People that are pulling their hair out, calling you conspiracy theorists, just don't want to care about that real possibility. We're not saying we know that's what's happening, but it's a fair question. But my point is that regardless of that, it will be used to shut down this medium, this way of communicating, which we know is what's most threatening to them at this moment, the flow of independent media information. So we'll come back to that, but I think that's an interesting point. But also, let's realize these things happen a lot. Not that's a good thing, but the, the way the media will focus and drain, you know, continue on for a week about the people it's affected and what's going on, that's all emotional propaganda. No matter how justified you may think it is, it's not news. It's trying to manipulate you emotionally to achieve an end. Whatever end they're driving for, I can most likely argue, control the second of your right for the Second Amendment rights. Now, I want to start with the East Palestine conversation because this is really just, I can't stop seeing this and, you know, tell me, I am always considering my own confirmation bias and asking whether I am just so interested in how crazy the story is that it seems to be consuming my perception. I, I don't really think so, but I could be wrong. I see this as something very, very important just because of what we know is happening. But on top of that, something tells me there's a bigger story around what's going on here. The beginning of this and why it went dark and there was a almost a, I mean, week and a half period where seemingly nobody was talking about this. That doesn't even seem possible today. On top of that, that the Ask Rail app was supposed to be instantaneous and no one seemed to know what was on the train for days. There's a lot of factors in this that seem to suggest some kind of national security overlap, something else that was being moved or maybe what was going on with where it was going. I don't know. But I do know that it doesn't add up. But all that aside, that's just theorizing. The facts on the table show you that these people are in danger. And everybody seems to know that. Nobody in the corporate media, the government, ultimately seemed to care outside of now seeming, you know, kind of lip service to pointing out the problem two months after the problem happened. But what's interesting, too, is to ask yourself, you mean, it, you know, is it possible this whole thing is some big illusion? Yes, that's possible, but we need facts to back something like that up. And it also is hard to make that statement when you have an endless amount of contradictory points that should argue that's not the case, right? So the theories are good and, you know, and fun and fine, and that's important to think about these things, but facts matter. And if you don't have the facts to back up your theory, well, that's where it stays. doesn't mean it's false. Just don't go out screaming this is the case and we can prove these things. My point in saying that is there's a lot going around this topic in particular where people seem to be focusing on one part or the other and kind of wanting, like my mind is I think it's all happening simultaneously. I'm, I'm, I feel the land grab part of this is real. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean that that was the plan to begin with. I don't know. Could be. But I do know that now, as of, as of a, after all this has been happening, suddenly you start to see this conversation creep in as it, almost as if it's a benefit to these people. Like, hey, we'll buy your land for pennies in the dollar. I mean, that's that, there's there is a conversation about that swirling, and that's concerning to me because of where this is and how important this land is in regard to infrastructure in this country, specifically the food the food the food chain. So I wish I want people to think about all of those and not necessarily box yourself out of one or the other because I think they're connected. It's possible that this is a false story driving that very one point, but there seems to be a lot of evidence suggesting that that's not the case. So you can't just ignore that stuff, right? So that all that being said, let's not forget that the Guardian itself, my point is not to say that I trust the Guardian, but to realize that even corporate media on March 17th is already telling you levels of these chemicals are far above safe limits. 
Now, yes, either they're making that up for their own agenda or that's something that they're saying, even though the EPA is continuing to lie about that. That's what I think is so mind blowing. That they're, it's not just that they're incompetent or letting Norfolk take the day. They're blatantly misrepresenting the situation and knowingly not doing things they know they're supposed to do. That's criminal, guys. So this is just reiterating this point, right? So here, going forward. Oh, and then one more. This was also on the uh, March 28th. EPA pressured for transparency about dioxin testing. This one was NBC. So it's very clear that the conversation is not some fringe concept. Both dioxin problem situation, the dioxin situation, the problems around it, as well as the fact that they're just in a situation where multiple independent testing from Texas A&M and Scott C. Smith and plenty of others have said, yes, they're they're being hurt. And then, of course, add to that, yeah, they also have rashes and nosebleeds and, and nausea and fainting, but that's not connected. It's all in your head. Seeing all these points juxtaposed together, it's obvious that there's a problem, right? I mean, it's no, it's a no-brainer. But all that being said, the point is to start with what just happened yesterday. And we're going to get into why all these things are relevant and show you why after this, you know, the reason that these things are relevant, that the fact that they know these things are dioxins are present and so on. So starting with the truck that just spilled, it's, it was carrying about 40,000 pounds of toxic waste. And as far as we reported, 20,000 of it spilled which I find kind of hard to believe. The truck tipped over, which you can see. I don't know how that would represent half, right? I mean, if the truck spilled, I doubt half of it stays in a sideways truck. Just my over-the-top perspective. But you know, who knows what, who, what's controlled these days in the flow of information. But cutting to the chase here, there's a couple points I wanted to read. Actually, I wanted to read this one first. This one was the, this one's April 10th. This one, I think, is also April 10th. Uh, oh, this one was from today. So this one has a little less information. This is from uh, ABC. It's saying truck carrying toxic soil from East Palestine train derailment site turned over, overturned, excuse me, just before 1 p.m. Monday in Columbiana County, which I'm just like almost exasperated. I'm like, of course, it's in Columbiana County. Of course, it's still in Ohio hauling 40,000 pounds of contaminated soil from the site. This is interesting, though. The driver was 47, or I'm dyslexic today, 74 years old was cited for operating a vehicle without reasonable control. I, I mean, I don't know where to place that just yet. I want to, you know, that's interesting to me why somebody who, I, I mean, I don't, the way it seems to sound, it says here, the northbound tractor trailer traveled off the right side of the roadway, hit a ditch and a utility pole and overturned. Sounds to me like he either passed out or, you know, maybe he got an injection and passed out. Valid thing to ask today, but also maybe he just fell asleep. I mean, who knows? But if you're shipping something that contains toxic waste, kind of seems irresponsible, doesn't it? But I don't know the person or the situation, but it says approximately 20,000 pounds of the soil spilled into the, onto the roadway and the berm. According to the Ohio EPA, so the local EPA, the spill was contained and is not a threat to nearby waterways, which we should immediately go, probably not true, seeing as how they're right now knowingly misrepresenting what's happening in East Palestine. Why would we trust this? with the same exact situation and the same waste, in fact. Now, really, to be honest, we should say, question it. I, who, you know, we don't know. Regardless of what they say, it could ju- just as likely be false. I just, I only, you know, being the pessimist it's turning us into, it's hard not to think to immediately probably, you know, they're probably lying. But let's try to remain objective and balanced. I mean, I'm actively working on myself every day with that because it's hard. When somebody lies about something 90% of the time, It's hard not to assume they're probably lying most of the time, but it's important to remain objective. But going forward to the next part, 
There's a little bit more information on this one. It says 21 news uh, crews visited, not that 21 news, this is the location, their, their news crews revisited the crash site Tuesday and observed straw placed, that's today, where the contaminated soil once was. So if they're arguing there's no problem here, which I don't even know how it's possible. If what you're shipping is knowingly toxic waste, that waste spills on the ground and you pick it up and act like there's no problem. I mean, this just doesn't even add up with their own narrative. But it's saying the owner of Cobbler's Ranch, which is where this happened, he said EPA officials were on top of the cleanup process and are still working on it as of today. Doesn't really sound like nothing if they're still working on it, but I mean, are we just scooping up dirt here? It says, quote, and this is what I think is important because the answer to that is no. They dug down and they usually only go so far. But in this case, they went a little extra deep because he argues, well, they saw that I was upset. Now, let's ask ourselves something. Do you think with all the garbage, do you think that the government would do extra work? If because, you know, Joe over here is upset. No. I'm going to go ahead and say 100% not going to happen. I'm going to say that what they would do is exactly with the minimum that they're supposed to do. And that's it. That's how we can pretty much see our history here. But regardless, realize that what they did, whatever the narrative is, dig deeper than usual with something that we're being told is benign and not a problem. And then put straw over it. Doesn't sound like nothing to me. They put new grass seed and stuff. They're really trying. I've got to give them credit for that. This is the, the person of the owner. But he says, this is, however, the owner says, despite assurances from the EPA that nothing on his property was contaminated, he is still skeptical and concerned about the contamination. Why? Because nobody trusts these people right now. Nobody, because they're liars. That's not an opinion. They've been caught lying, which makes them liars. Not every single time, all the time, but we should ask that question. So now we've got trucks and shipments spilling inside of Ohio, spreading the problem around. Kind of seems like what we were worried about them doing intentionally, isn't it? Well, here's just the raw news alerts, and you can see the actual image of it. And you can see right there the Cobbler's Ranch sign. I mean, that doesn't look like half still in the truck to me. I don't know about you. And, you know, you just got people walking up, looking at it. You know what I mean? Look at this. this, this I can, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming here. But based on the Cobbler's Ranch icon and the shirt he's wearing, I think that's the same. I think that is the guy, the owner. Now, either way, the point is that what you have is people who aren't officials who are just walking right on top of the soil. Yeah, the toxic waste. That is what that's called. No big deal, right? I just, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. Is this toxic waste or not? If it is, then why are you allowing this to be treated like a bunch of dirt? No big deal. I think we know that it's not. I think that's verifiable, guys. And this is a problem to me because these people are now potentially getting contaminated. We've already had people. Look, if the CDC can show up and deal with this area, which is where this dirt is coming from, and half of their team gets sick just by being present, what do you think this is going to do? This is not a guess here, guys. This is very obvious. And it really concerns me that average people are just choosing to disregard this for some reason or another. Oh, that was just the picture I grabbed. Now, I want to include these for people to understand there's a bigger issue at play here in my mind. This is the first one I covered. EPA is forcing, actually forcing Ohio toxic waste on facilities. In this case, it was Oklahoma. I actually forgot to follow up on how that went forward. I hope he's still standing his ground, but 
forcing that waste on places that I can prove, and I did prove in this show, are not capable of dealing with dioxins or PFAS. And we know that they're present. The follow-up was this one, where I focused on the, the Clean Harbors company. It seems to be the primary group they're using, despite this company being rife, just like this is the Pfizer of the Ohio scandal. They are rife with exactly what you would expect. Lying, safety problems, everything we're talking about. And this, in this case, this, and I called it the Clean Harbors Waste Disposal Ohio scandal. Just like this one, I literally called their organization. I spoke with multiple people and I asked them specifically, dioxins, PFAS. And I asked whether the locations that they're trying to send them to are capable of dealing with it. The answer is no, they don't have incinerators. And on top of that, what, despite that being the only thing experts are telling us are even capable, if at all, able to deal with these things, they're also argue they're just not able to. But on top of that, he told me it was company policy for clean harbors to only deal with these using incinerators. So explain for me why in both of these examples, they're not using incinerators. They're sending them to dump in, in, in landfills because either they don't care because of the dioxin PFAS problem because they know it's everywhere and they don't want to admit that or they didn't test and aren't even looking and pretending like it's not happening. I don't know what else to see. Now here... It's a, this is a, another Guardian article from March 27th, the end of last month. So right now we're being told there's no problem. On, on, in, in March 6th, understand, March 6th, 7th is when the, the CDC report came out. And this is a month after of the CDC members being sick, half their team when they went to, when they were present. Three weeks later, I live near East Palestine chemical spill. The title reads, officials who say we're safe are lying. He says on the evening of February 3rd, he was home with his family watching a movie. When his daughter called, said, Dad, what's going on downtown? He looked at the window and there was an orange glow in the sky. He turned the movie down to talk to his daughter, but she hung up. Ten minutes later, she called back and said, we're coming to get you. Right? It's great how you need your family to tell you there's a problem before the government does when there's a, cla- a obvious chemical disaster taking place. But either way, the point is on Sunday, the EPA officials said they did not detect any contaminants. This is after the... Uh, this okay Sunday following after the after the spill, they're saying they didn't test they didn't they didn't have to detect anything in the air. Now what you're going to find out in this discussion today why they didn't find anything in the air. You know why? Because they willfully kept this completely scattered. They had multiple groups testing for different things in different ways when none of it worked together, knowing that what they weren't testing for in many cases was some of the things on the train weren't testing for dioxins, weren't testing for the things that they knew were a problem. And again, to reiterate the first part of that is they were each in different companies for testing for different things in different ways. So when you give you results, everything's confusing and nothing lines up. This sounds like an intentional obfuscation to me from the EPA working with the companies on the ground. The whole point for me is the EPA is not some independent. The EPA is a compromised agency from what we're seeing here. I don't know how else to see it. Captured agency is the best way to talk, just like with the we with the. Pretty much most government agencies I could point to, but that's my jaded opinion. Either way, we're going to show you why this is taking place. They say, hey, it's safe. There's no contaminants in the air. Why are they having rashes? Why are they still having nosebleeds? Why did the CDC all get sick? Why did Norfolk Southern people get sick? I guess it's all just a big coincidence. He says his granddaughters had developed blotches all over their bodies. They look like burns, as if they'd spent too much time next to a sun lamp. My seven-year-old granddaughter's leg was beat red. They were coughing and their eyes were burning. Yeah, sure sounds like mental problems, doesn't it? I began to experience constant headaches and a nagging cough. While you're being told you're crazy and everything's fine. Really does sound like the overlap to the COVID-19 disaster. 
rather the injection disaster. My wife's cousin is a cancer research researcher at Stanford. She called us and said, get the girls the hell out of there. But of course, what's sad is a lot of these people will say that to their family and friends, but then shy away from saying it publicly for risk of losing their clout and their, you know, job, which is very sad. That's how it went with COVID-19 illusion, right? There are people that are knowing there's a problem. They just don't say it because they're afraid to get attacked. The railroad company has given us a voucher for two nights stay at a hotel, he said. So they drove to an end about 15 miles away. Of course, what's sad is we realized that 40 miles away is as far as the ash went. So, you know, no big deal, though. But two nights, that'll cover it, right? After a couple days out of town, my granddaughter's rashes started to fade, but they all continued coughing. He said he's been an athlete his whole life. Doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, pretty decent basketball player. Never had a persistent cough like this before. He said on, on February 8th, the EPA said its testing showed that the air and water were safe. Again, we didn't trust the assessment, and he's right not to. Each time he says, I've got to, he went back to East Palestine every time since this, right up to now. Every time he went back to check on his house, his headaches begun again. began again. We've heard that from multiple people, people that drive to work outside of the town and then feel okay, and every time they come back home, they get a headache again, like clockwork right now does that sound like some kind of irrational problem it sounds like there's something going on that's hyper focused on this area and that's again that doesn't sound like i mean who knows what what we're talking about here i could guess all day long but ultimately it sounds like a focused problem here but the long-term dioxin problem that's created is what we're going to see in the long term which is very concerning because it bioaccumulates in your body now it says it's now been six weeks since the wreck I dread nighttime. You realize he's talking about, this is March 27th, he wrote this. I dread nighttime because when I lie down to sleep, the constant coughing starts. My wife of 35 years woke me up recently because my breathing was so bad. She said I sounded like I had fluid in my lungs. Other people are having similar experiences. The ER doctors say it's a chemical bronchitis. So again, we've got veterinarians diagnosing chemical exposure to these animals. We've got vinyl chloride in women's urine. We've got people being diagnosed with chemical bronchitis and chemical burns, and still we're being told that they're crazy. The EPA is going, no, 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 we tested the air, you're fine. I'm not. This is actually what's happening, guys. This guy's lost 15 pounds. In addition to all the unexpected expenses, he says he's paying for a home that he doesn't live in and doesn't know whether insurance will help. You know why? Because they're telling him they don't cover chemical spills. Isn't the opposite what we're being told by Norfolk and EPA and the government? They're being taken care of. We're taking care of everything. Not true. Other people are even less lucky. They can't afford to leave. Our friend's son keeps having nosebleeds. He says, I'm a 61-year-old man, and he's never cried this much in his life. That's sad. I don't believe the government or railway companies claims that our town is safe. You hate to say that they're lying, but they are. That's what he said, point blank. Some families don't plan to come back at all. That breaks my heart. We have such a tight-knit community here. At this point, the best case scenario is that they get this town really cleaned up to the point where independent scientists say it's safe. If we have real assurance and stop experiencing symptoms, perhaps the town can start to return to normal. I mean, just think about that. That you are still sick. You're having nosebleeds and coughing and you can't sleep. And they're like, you're fine. You're not, a, you're, you are safe. That's why he's just going, look, I'm not even debating this. They're lying. I'm feeling it. I'm experiencing it. Tell that to the people with their neurological shakes and diseases. Everything's happening because of the COVID injections. They're going, no, 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 it's in your head. You're a liar. You're a conspiracy theorist. This is the world we live in today because of our government. 
our governments, actually, around the world. Now, this is from the Huffington Post. In Ohio, regulators are letting the polluter guide a toxic cleanup. This is yesterday. Now, ask yourself how the last American vagabond can report on this day or what was it? I think two weeks, just about two weeks after this started. And say this. Exactly this. Not only that there's still a problem, that people are getting sick, that the reality is that what they did was the worst thing they could have done, and that they were letting Norfolk Southern lead the charge. Remember all that? Remember how we got called conspiracy theorists by seemingly even half the independent community? I mean, it's just amazing. And now now here we go. It's watching the, not that we should trust what they're saying, but just realizing that now they're stepping in, trying to maintain their clout and act like, oh, we're challenging what's happening here. I think it's because ultimately this is they, they need to control this narrative because people in the independent media have yet again set the tone, like with COVID, like with Ukraine, like everything else today. You out there in the independent media, you're leading the charge. Notice the difference today. It's not the other way around where we're attacking their narrative. They're attacking our narratives today. Think about how different that is. Because you're out there telling the truth. That's why. The disaster response has not only been flawed, it's been one big conflict of interest. It says, I know, it's, I know that's hard. We know there's a lack of trust. We're testing for everything that was on that train, according to the EPA administer, administrator, excuse me, Michael Regan. On February 17th, he said that. He was lying, and we can prove that today. Public trust has only continued to crumble since Reagan's initial visit, especially when it became evident that responders weren't initially testing for all hazardous materials on the train after all, which, by the way, is not news because Huffington Post says it for the, fir- for the first time on their platform after three, w- three months. No, because that was what we proved early based on independent work that we knew they weren't. They were testing for VOCs. And of course, you had all the jackals on Twitter say, you're so stupid. You don't understand. That's the right thing to do. Guess what? You're wrong. And it wasn't. And we can prove that today. But that's how this works. People get shouted down by all the peanut gallery on all these social media platforms. And half of them are probably bots for all we know. You can prove that's happening on Twitter today. Despite all the conversation, there are bots constantly working on that platform for very deceptive reasons. And I can prove it. But that's not the show today. It's saying, I don't believe the government or railway companies claims that our town is safe. One of the residents said, you hate to say it, but this is the same person that they're lying, but they are. As authorities assured the company, the community, excuse me, that the air and water were safe, residents and responders reported numerous symptoms from sore throats to coughing to bloody noses and rashes. It's weird, right? How they're all psychologically experiencing the exact same symptoms that just so happen to be the same symptoms that correlate with the same things that were spilled. But it's all in their head, though, right? Because EPA said so. It's not it's, it's first responders, CDC, residents, Norfolk Southern com- employees. And yet there's, this is still fake. The, e- the U.S. EPA and Ohio EPA, which is weird, they call it an unaffiliated state agency. I'm not even sure what they mean by that. How is it unaffiliated if it's the Ohio EPA? Maybe maybe fill me in the chat if I'm missing something. Have repeatedly stressed that they are, or, or, or maybe they're, no, the way that reads, it's that maybe they meant to argue that was a third agency that they're not mentioning. Not, but the way it reads, comma, unaffiliated state agency, that implying one of those are. Anyway, could just be a typo. Have repeatedly stressed that they are supervising and overseeing the disaster response, which is the truth. Whether they're actually doing it or not, they are responsible because we know they were there, as Biden and the EPA officials said on the record, within two hours. Or wait, did he say, I believe on the local it was immediately, and then I think it was uh, Biden. 
why am I questioning whatever thing was two hours or two days? Now I'm suddenly blanking on what Biden said. God, there's, you guys know there's just so much information. Regardless, the point is whether it's two days or two hours that early they were present long before they decided to burn the, the vinyl chloride, assuming that's what it was there, which caused everything to, I mean, that was the absolute, if you had to pick the worst thing to possibly do, that was it. Every independent agency and expert I can talk to is telling us that. That was not only bad, that was like, what can we do that'll make this the worst possible? Do that. It's crazy. But saying that they're overseeing this, namely monitoring for toxic chemicals in the environment. Right. So are they incompetent to the point to where they literally don't know what they're doing? Or are they just obfuscating that this is actually there? Because we know it is. People are still getting sick. We can prove it by independent testing. This isn't up for debate. One of the primary concerns is exposure to dioxins. According to the Huffington Post, way to join the team three months later, guys. But yes, that is one of the concerns. So ask my, if it's if it's in the Guardian, the Huffington Post, as of April 10th, explain for me why the EPA still seems to be confused about what they're doing and what to be testing for. Or whether they're actually testing for dioxins, which we can prove they haven't yet. Dioxins are linked to numerous serious and potentially deadly health problems, including cancer, developmental and reproductive problems, immune system damage, and hormone disruption. It's like, it's like they want to make the same things happen from the COVID-19 injection. It's being sort of facetious, but who knows? It's just, it's amazing to see that these things are all overlapping and we know that's a problem, but yet they're quibbling and debating about whether they're doing it or not. The EPA has promised to immediately step in, quote, immediately step in, conduct the necessary work and then force Norfolk Southern to pay triple the cost. Right. Do you think anybody cares about, I mean, really at the end of the day about what they're spending when the immediate risk is whether you're sick, whether your children are getting sick, whether they might die or get cancer? But don't worry, we'll charge them extra to make up for your children dying. Right, that's the extreme version, but think about how stupid that is. Why would they wait until afterward and then charge them extra if they do it wrong? How about you just make sure it doesn't happen the wrong way? Why are you letting Norfolk Southern lead this? And that's the whole point this article's making. It says, yeah, it's, oh, and again, that's the point. It says, if it falls short of EPA standards. So you're giving them the opportunity to fail so you can charge them more. Does that sound like the best thing for the people? Yet two months after the disaster, amid mounting distrust and as lawsuits pile up against Norfolk Southern, the railroad giant maintains an outsized role in monitoring for contamination in and around East Palestine. Right, the group responsible. Contractors on Norfolk Southern's payroll, including one with a particularly checkered past, which we've already talked about, all are leading the search for pollutants in the water, soil, and home air. Now, there's one we haven't, actually, which is going to be new, for, for at least for this, this show. But again, we're talking about CTEH, or I think the acronym, I think it's right here. It's uh, We'll come back to it. We're, we'll get to it in a second anyway. It's the one we already mentioned. That it's, you know, completely, it, it's part of the BP spill, the, uh, all, all the classic ones where they've been literally caught and accused of covering up for the bigger companies. Now, continue, several independent experts have condemned their testing to date as inadequate pointing out that authorities have been slow to test for the full spectrum of potential contaminants, which again is not even up for debate. They, they blatantly said they were going to do that test for everything right on the record. And then just didn't do that. You can't, they can't then fall back into, well, it's standard procedure. You, you claimed you were going to do one thing and didn't do that. So there's some kind of a deception happening here. Why would they choose to not search for something that they knew was possible? 
unless they just didn't want to find it. That's kind of where my mind goes with this. Critics have unsurprisingly compared Norfolk Southern's involvement to a fox guarding the hen house. Nicole Carn, uh, a chemist and associate professor at Ohio State University, called the chemical screening and reporting sloppy and ridiculous. You guys, these aren't fringe bloggers. We're talking about experts and professors and chemists, and yet we still debate what's going. It just It's kind of mind-blowing to me. I'm not saying you trust what they're saying either, but realize these are not, this is the equivalent of kicking all the experts off the, out of the conversation around the COVID injection because they just didn't say what the media and government said they were supposed to. Same thing's happening here. In, trust of, in terms of trust, it would be helpful if the company responsible for the problem, you know, wouldn't be in charge of the cleanup. That's what she said. Now it goes on to say, quote, what is uncommon is deferring to the party responsible for causing the injuries to inform how government agencies will make public health and safety decisions that pertain to acute immediate health risks. No brainer, right? The EPA health, the environmental protection agency, which is not seemingly, which is their public stated mandate. It's not what they're doing anymore is essentially deferring to the group that caused the problem for their marching orders to a degree, to a large degree. That's what the that's what the point these people are making. Now, it says the response in East Palestine involves a small army of government agencies, the U.S. and Ohio EPAs, as well as the Columbiana County Health District. Now, it says Welton, who is is leading an independent research team in his Palestine, has highlighted those inconsistencies. So I I don't think Welton will even discuss. So that makes a fourth independent. There's probably multiple independent groups doing this right now, but I, I can prove and verify that three of them have found exactly what the EPA is saying isn't happening. But here, another one is saying that they have highlighted the inconsistencies in community presentations and social media posts. He says a big issue with the response is that no one is ensuring all agencies and private contractors are looking for the same contaminants. Now, realize he's not talking about the, the, independent, the independent ones doing it on their own accord. He's talking about the ones they're hiring to work with these companies to find what's happening or to ensure that it's safe. And what he's saying is they're... Each group is kind of just doing it their own way and there's no consistency and there's no overlap and it makes it impossible to know what's happening. I think that's on purpose. It says, quote, the distrust happened because officials did not understand, of course, giving them the out, acting like they're just too dumb to know what's going on. Then why are they in these positions then? Why are they the ones making choices? I don't buy for a second this was an accident or they got confused or it's too much going on. This is an this is an act of and, uh, and because, as I said, the you can prove they've been lying. So this to me is a cover up. But it says the distrust happened because they didn't understand the complexity of the disaster that they were encountering, even though they've encountered many of them. They made a lot of decisions that were incorrect, like they always seem to do. They didn't have the data to make the statements they were making. That's called a lie. And it turns out that, that when you look closely at the data they collected, many of the agencies were running in different directions and not testing for what they need to test for. Also a lie. For example, the the lie being they said they were going to test for everything, which they weren't doing. For example, the U.S. EPA detected elevated levels of acrolene, a highly toxic substance found in smoke and a known respiratory irritant in in the air in East Palestine. They found that. But the state and railroad contractors have yet to test it for in the drinking water or the streams. How do you explain that? You can prove that it was released, and yet they haven't even tested the drinking water. Maybe that's why these people are still getting sick. This is this is not debatable. This is impossible to miss. If they haven't done that, that either means they know it's there and they're afraid to admit it, or they don't want to look because they don't know what they're going to find. I mean, I don't even know, really. 
Either way, you know that it's 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 obligatory. They have to. If it's been released, they have to test to make sure you're safe. At least that's what they state they're supposed to be doing. It says, Welton, the group testing, said that in his experience, or excuse me, apparently individual. That's weird. It says Welton. I didn't see them list him anywhere else. Oh, it is right here. Andrew Welton, an environmental engineer and professor at Purdue University. See, again, these are not just fringe individuals. But he says, in his experience, such disorganization is, unfortunately, he says, endemic to disaster response in the United States. Now, is that incompetence? Is it bureaucratic red tape getting in the way? It was certainly possible. I don't believe so. I think this is much bigger, much larger problem that's more. This is a core problem of the way this government operates, not the country, but the government. And it's probably because of corporate capture and cover up. Like this is about hiding the fact that like the point is the government cares more about the interests of these corporations than they do about your safety. That's what I would argue. Here's the, some of these experts posting this stuff, showing you what's going on. You can read it for yourself. It says government agencies charged with protecting public health and safety have effectively outsourced their responsibility to Norfolk Southern, says Welton. How is that possible? Well, you know, because it happens every time. But from the average person's perspective, they would go, that's not pot. They can't. Why would they do that? This, it's a good question. I think what I just said is the case. I think it's because they care more about that and the interest of the larger picture they do about your health. The railroad giant is part of the unified command response team, and its contractors have been allowed to craft chemical testing protocols that environmental regulators subsequently sign off on. So you're literally allowing Norfolk Southern to set the testing protocol that the EPA then goes, yes, use that. Now, even if you argue the EPA could shut it down, why are you allowing what they seemingly didn't do? Why are you allowing the person responsible to set the tone? I think you know why. Ohio officials relied exclusively on a railroad contractor's flawed water sampling to initially declare the village's municipal water safe to drink. And realize they still haven't tested for that other chemical and plenty of others, including dioxins, in the drinking water or the or the streams. But what they're saying is they know, we, and this is Huffington Post is claiming this based on their own sources, that they know that they exclusively relied on something that they can prove today was flawed to say that they were safe. Now, why would you do that if your objective was making sure they were safe, as opposed to just calming concerns and blending this into the background? It goes on to say it had followed a sampling plan, the consulting firm AE, AECOM had followed a sampling plan designed by local health and safety agencies. It turns out that that sampling plan was not the work of state and local officials, but rather developed by AECOM on behalf of Norfolk Southern. There you go. The railroad-funded sampling plan also did not initially call for testing for some of the hazardous materials that had been on the train. Again, so despite their claim they were going to do so, and despite their necessity to do so, to make sure that this was safe, the Norfolk Southern plan that was put out by AECOM that the government signed off on didn't test for the uh, the uh, butoxy, butoxyethanol. I'm sure that's mispronounced. And uh, isobutylene. Two, th- two of them, the things that people have talked about. Things they know were on the train. Things they know were potentially problematic and chose to omit. Why? It says... By the time AECOM had developed its plan and started testing municipal and private well water, alarming levels of, I guess, two dash but- uh, butoxyethanol were turning up in creeks, 
and other surface water near the derailment site. So they hadn't even begun testing yet, and it was already showing up in, in uh, alarming levels, or rather by the time they first began to do so. And it says, and this is sample and surface level creeks and so on. It says a sample collected the day after the derailment from uh, from Sulphur Run, a stream that runs through the, the heart of East Palestine, detected a, the chemical at 312 parts per million. Surface water samples collected closer to the derailment site on February 9th and 10th detected levels as high as 848 parts per million. The workplace exposure limit, 50 parts per million. In the air for eight hours of work. At 700 parts per million in the air, this chemical becomes immediately dangerous to life and health, according to the CDC. Yet they haven't even tested for it in the water. To remove chemicals from the area creeks, contractors have used aeration devices, according to Welton, who says essentially what they do is force those toxic toxins back into the air and then create another chemical risk. This just seems like a hamster wheel of circulating problems. Let's ship it over there and it dumps over there. Let's ship it to a place that can't deal with it and dump it in the ground. Right? Let's take the dangerous water problem and, and aerate it so it goes into the air. And then we'll deal with the air later. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is either about knowing they can't deal with this or wanting this to continue to be a problem. I don't know how else you can see it. It says AECOM's plan seemingly set the stage for a deficient, disjointed sampling effort. The Ohio EPA stepped in to begin its own sampling on February 21st. Right. What is that? Almost three weeks afterward? Well done, guys. But they did not even test for the butoxyethanol in drinking water until March 7th. Do you realize how many times they told people that it was safe before March 7th? And how do we trust it now? How do we know that it's actually safe now? With everything we're just discussing. Either way... They kept telling people the water was safe when they hadn't even tested to find out if it was safe from all the chemicals they knew were on the train. It doesn't matter where your political stance is, guys. That one point shows you that they're lying. They are knowingly misrepresenting the situation. Now, I I could argue I have opinions of why, but you have to ask why. AECOM, which developed the potable water sampling plan, which means like safe water, is no longer involved in the East Palestine response. So AECOM puts forward a plan on behalf of Norfolk Southern that's a completely broken plan that was designed seemingly to not find everything. And the government signs off on it. But then they step out. Santec, a Canadian consulting and engineering firm, replaced them and took over drinking water testing in early March. Talk about inconsistent. So it starts off disjointed in multiple plans, and this is a plan that was designed to not succeed. They step out of the way, and a new group steps in and starts it all over. It says it's not even clear if they're using AECOM's plan. So the, re- the point is, whether good or bad or the other, the people trying to follow this that live here have no idea what's going on. Yet they keep telling you it's all transparent. Everything's fine. The Ohio local EPA, which has promised transparency in the wake of the disaster, of course, didn't respond for multiple comments. Because they're transparent, right? This is corporate media, guys. I can, it says, quote, I can com- commit to East Palestine that Governor DeWine and his cabinet will always tell you exactly what we know, what we don't yet know, and what we are doing to find answers for the village of East Palestine, according to the Ohio EPA director Ann Vogel on March 28th. 
so clearly lying or not unaware that that's not going to happen. When confronted about the information, what information the state had when it declared the town's water safe, Vogel, who just told you they swear they'll have everything we know, provided a dodgy, if not outright misleading answer. Right. So then she, they will always tell you, we're going to tell you everything and we care about you and blah, blah, blah. Clearly, they're not doing that. It says at least four companies on Norfolk Southern's payroll are right now currently involved in the search for contamination. Four companies that the government's pointing at to justify that they're claiming it's safe. They're being paid by Norfolk Southern. The railroad, of course, has a vested interest in minimizing its own liability. Now, this is a group that I think it was Kanoa the Great pointed out. That's who we referenced when we first saw this. The Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health. It's the CTEH, known commonly by its acronym, CTEH, is testing air quality in these Palestine homes and designed the actual sampling protocol for that, that, that home testing, which is ridiculous because the EPA, which took control of the derailment response on 20, the 21st, reviewed and approved the CTEH's plan despite this group being I mean, th- again, well, I mean, you, you could, I said, already used the, the argument that they're the clean harbors with the Pfizer of the whole thing. But in regard to the cleanup process, like not the the, the actual uh, processing of the waste, but the groups coming in to like deduce and test and so on. This would be the Pfizer in that, in that aspect, because this group, and as even Huffington Post points out, is constantly being like this, in my opinion, would be the Neil Ferguson part of this. Right. Where they lie just the right ways for the government or for whatever group they're working with. And they just continue to profit because of it, despite routinely being shown to be caught and being wrong. How does a company continue to succeed when every time they seem to get caught doing it wrong? Because that's what they're paid for. But independent experts, that's my opinion, told ProPublica that the air testing is inadequate to protect public health. In part because CTEH is not even sampling for the full spectrum of chemicals involved. Again, we know this. CTEH has a long, controversial history of working for corporate giants in the wake of disasters. BP, following the Deepwater Horizon spill, downplaying associated health risks in any one of these locations we've talked about. A toxicologist told the New York Times in 2010 that the CTEH is, quote, paid to say everything's okay. Back when the New York Times, I guess, let some truth slip through. CTEH was once more direct about its services. I found this very telling. I didn't know this. In language that has since been removed from its website, it says, quote, CTEH explained how the data it gathers about toxic chemicals can be used later to shield its clients from liability in cases brought by people who say they were harmed. I mean, really make sure you understand what that just said. And the fact that they now have removed that from their website. On their own website, they're arguing that their job is to sample and collect the information about what spilled to later use it to help the people who spilled against the people who were harmed by it. How does a company like that publicly state that and exist? Because this is how the government operates today. And these work alongside the very entities arguing they're keeping you safe. How else do you think this continues? CTEH is also testing surface water in and around the derailment site. All the things they keep telling you are safe. You know, the group that just said their entire job is to shield Norfolk Southern from you attacking them for being harmed by what they did. Its parent company, Montrose Environmental Group, also owns Environmental Standards, Inc. We've talked about them. A consulting firm that Norfolk Southern separately hired 
to assess a third-party lab's reports on those samples. So every stage of this is being paid by Norfolk Southern. Karn, the Ohio State professor, drew attention to that concerning relationship in a post to Twitter. He says, quote, Norfolk Southern is paying a company, CTEH, owned by Montrose, with a conflict of interest to collect samples, send those samples off to a lab, PACE, who can provide detailed reports, and then using environmental standards owned by Montrose to interpret those reports and obfuscate results. Every stage of this is being influenced by the very people involved with the, with the action of the spill. A separate railroad contractor, Arcadius, is the architect of a plan to test soil for dioxins and other chemicals. Independent experts told The Guardian that the plan is also flawed and unlikely to give a complete picture of contamination. So even their, their you know, half-hearted effort to give the illusion of testing for dioxins is already being called out by independent experts as designed to not show what's there. Are you surprised? I think this is the crux of the point here, guys. More than 100 local and national organizations have already sent letters to the U.S. EPA leaders this was last month, demanding independent dioxin testing. But it's all conspiracy theory, right? This is clearly a primary point to this. Now, it could just be the point we made about there being a background problem. But maybe there's something the dioxin issue here connects to what, you know, exposes what might have been going on on this train. I don't know. But if that many experts are literally speaking up and saying, you need to do this, and they still haven't, come read, read what that's telling you guys. It says, quote, to ensure this testing is adequately conducted and to rebuild public trust, we strongly recommend the U.S. EPA itself conduct the dioxin sampling or hire its own consultants to conduct the testing. Norfolk Southern should not be in charge of the dioxin sampling. Too late. That's what's happening, right? So we, and this is what we just read. They already have these groups that are involved working on behalf of Norfolk Southern that's already being put, the, the EPA is essentially standing back and letting, just signing off on what they're putting forward. The U.S. EPA added to the pile of potential conflicts of interest in East Palestine by hiring consulting firm Tetra Tech Inc. to prepare air monitoring reports and maps. A subsidiary of the company, Tetra Tech EC, is currently being sued by the Department of Justice over alleged false invoices. For, for nuclear remediation work at Hunter's Point Naval Shipyard in San Francisco. So exactly the same point. You go to another group who you know is working in just the right ways to obfuscate for just the right people. In 2018, two Tetra Tech supervisors pleaded guilty and were sentenced to eight months in prison for falsifying soil samples as part of the cleanup. Let's work with them. You know, the group that just went to prison for falsifying samples of contaminated soil. Let's get them to sample the soil and tell us what's going on. Sounds like a smart idea, right? If you want them to lie for you, Norfolk Southern and Tetra Tech have the same top two shareholders. I'm actually kind of surprised that Huffington Post made this point. Vanguard and BlackRock. Aren't we being told that's a racist trope by the ADL? Well, guess what, Huffington Post? Your facts just became racist, according to them. The point is, it's obviously not a racist point. The reality is those groups own basically everything, it would seem. That's, you know, a little bit hyperbolic, but it's actually not, not as much as you might think. Kind of alarming, isn't it? And you can see how that could very well be the influence that we're talking about. The U.S. EPA did not respond to the Huffington Post request for comment. Totally transparent, though, right? Now, it says, quote, if we continue to defund agencies that are in place to keep us safe and protect our environment, they're going to be less equipped to do so. 
And here enter the the pleading with the basically the argument. And of course, they mentioned Trump's administration, you know, the classic deviation into Trump bad guy. And that's why this happened. But the point is that what they're ultimately saying is, you know, it's your fault. It's your fault for defunding the EPA, for removing funding, which, by the way, the Biden administration has also continued to do and allow. But, you know, it's only Trump's fault. But the point is that they don't they are trying to make it seem just like every other great reset, you know, justifying the collapse to rebuild it kind of argument. They're going, well, we did this. We we defunded them and now everything's not working. And they're, uh, you know, they're trying their best, but they just can't manage the situation. B.S. I, I mean, look, it's not about incompetent or rather. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to deny that they might not have enough resources. But it's a captured agency. I don't want them to have anything personally. But on top of that, if they've been caught lying. What are we talking about? This is not about them trying and failing. This is about them obfuscating the reality. Interesting. Now he goes on to say, adding that a lack of investment fuels the sort of cycle of distrust that is on full display. No, you know what fuels a cycle of distrust? Lying and covering up a story. That's what does it. And we're all seeing this today. So this half-hearted effort to make it sound like it's our fault for wanting less funding for cor- corrupted agencies or that the Trump's administration did that or the Biden administration didn't continue to take it back. I mean, who knows? But I don't buy that for a second. Now, all that being said, I think we do. I mean, we, we knew this before this was written by the Huffington Post. That's the important thing to understand. This is just really solidifying the fact that not only is this happening, but now they're being forced to cover it from a corporate perspective. But don't forget, we've been covering this since the beginning of this, or at least, you know, for the most part, like 10 days afterward. But here I'm going to include the tag for East Palestine. So you can go back and look at all the different work we've done on this so far and read up. And I think it's important, as well as a tag just for Ohio. Now, I really recommend you guys dive into the Clean Harbors discussion. Like I said, I've got mo- recordings in the in the show notes, in the links, of me on the record speaking with people. Hi, hi, one of them was actually, I believe, uh, just under the GM at this location, discussing exactly what we talked about. Them on the record saying, no, these things don't have incinerators. No, we can't process those things here. And then we can prove that they're being shipped there. So just explain that. Now, I also want to reiterate some of the points we've made before. So people that are new to this understand why this is not the small problem they're trying to make it out to be. Here is an article from 1995 from CNN. Dioxins may be creating larger problems down the road. So ask yourself how they can know about this problem in 1995, but seemingly no one talks about it today. And most Americans don't even know what it is until this happened. Think about that. Now, what it says here is as dioxins become airborne, it travels thousands of miles away. Right. So that's very easy to understand. So if we if they burned this, which we know they did uncontrolled with all the smoke, which is carbon. And the point is, you're burning a chlorinated product that creates dioxins. In this case, specifically TCDD, which is, as far as I can tell, the most toxic chemical we know of. That's not hyperbolic. And they're telling you that if this happens and it goes airborne, which this did, thousands of miles, not two miles, not even 40 miles, thousands of miles. Dioxins end up in animals or fish where it's stored in their fatty tissue. And when we eat those things or it ends up in your body or on you, they also moves into your fat and stays there potentially for the rest of your life, if not decades or rather decades, if not the, your entire life. And it bioaccumulates the EPA itself. In 1995, says chlorine compounds like dioxin can cause serious health problems. Weird, they don't seem to care about it now, right? Researchers say it's everywhere in 1995. 
You see my point here, guys? Something happened here where either they realized that they don't know what to do about this, they know they can't deal with it or actually take care of it. I, plenty of independent experts will tell you that even incineration won't deal with this stuff, that we're being lied to about that. Maybe that's why they just like take it anywhere. We don't know what to do. I don't know. These are just opinions, but I think it's obvious that we're, they're lying. It says down here, according to the expert they were speaking with, this guy is a dioxin specialist. He says, when asked about where the problem and the foods, he says, what we estimate from our calculations is that Big Mac or Pizza Hut, personal pan supreme, or three pieces of Kentucky fried chicken, just independently one of those things, gives us about eight to 150 times more dioxins than the EPA feels would be a reasonable level. I just don't even understand how that's possible in 1995 and we're here today. Other than these groups don't care about you and never have. So you know that there are kids out there that eat Kentucky Fried Chicken every day at school or their parents get it every night or they switch up between different fast foods every night. Every single meal they're getting eight, at a minimum, eight times the safe level of dioxins up to 150. Gee, I wonder why one in four people die of cancer or I forget it was get cancer or die of cancer in this country. That's not normal. There's a lot of this, but take this and combine it with glyphosate and alu- or, uh, aluminum and barium and, and lithium and, and everything else that's going on in our world. All the things we're, you know, and, and specifically uh, fluoride and all these different things that are in our foods. And then you even get into the things that they publicly talk about, all the horrible GMOs and all this stuff. I mean, my God. So back to the point. They've known this for a long time. Here is the point I made. And by the way, I was just on, I had an interview with Kim Iverson that I just put out on my platform, but I just was on Kim Iverson's show yesterday, I believe. And I, I'm not, that'll come out either today or tomorrow. I'm not sure. But we specifically focused on dioxins and Ohio. And I mentioned this discussion on her show. And I think it's important to reiterate this. Long range Air transport of dioxin from North American sources to ecologically vulnerable receptors. In this case, the Arctic Canada. Now we're talking about Inuit communities, which some people would, would incorrectly call Eskimos. In, in, in this location, we're talking about an in, in, in Inuit community. The point is, I'm not going to go through it all again. You can read it for yourself. This is the year 2000. Five years after the last report. what they find? That these women in this community have very dangerous levels of dioxins in their breast milk. Despite the fact that there is not anything that produces dioxins within 500 kilometers of this town. You know what they find? It is because of North American sources. The wind is bringing these dioxins due to the manufacturing and different processes that create them in our country that they still don't care about all the way to the Arctic where it goes in their bodies and the animals which they eat and they're finding it high levels in the breast milk of these women. But yet we're debating whether this went four miles, five miles, right? I mean, it's that easy to prove right now, guys. Now, also on PFAS discussion, I just showed this the other day. Exposure to PFAS or forever chemicals can reduce women's fertility by 40%. This is on March 24th. So it's weird how they only suddenly start caring, right? This has been a problem for decades, and I'll prove it to you next. So why now do they suddenly care? I think it's because whatever just happened kind of blew open this discussion. And I think they're genuinely concerned about proving or rather it being revealed that they've known this has been deadly and dangerous and cancer causing and either didn't know what to do about it. So they didn't tell you, which means they don't care about you or they or there's a bigger story around. it. I don't really know. 
but you should read this for yourself. This was highlighted, but I'm not going to focus on it right now. There's a lot to talk about in this, but the bottom line is they've known about this for a long time. They know what these things can do. I mean, it's kind of shocking to realize that they're saying this now, especially the fertility conversation. Now, here's one other thing to consider. Always question everything. Think outside the box. Could it be possible that this is being thrown at us to hide what happened with the injection? That's certainly possible. And it doesn't even mean that this isn't also causing that. It could just be a way to hide in the already background level the thing that other thing is causing. That's certainly possible. We should always ask these questions. But regardless of that, the point is that they've known about this. Here is the EPA talking about PFAS in the year 2016, right? Saying, but just generally discussing the reality that these things are problematic, that they're dangerous. Now, there was, a, it was highlighted too, there's a part on here, but you know, this is just the general page, just showing you that it's a topic they've known about, right? Here is 2018, understanding PFAS in the environment, saying there are a very large class of man-made chemicals that include P PFOA, PFOS, which is what we'll talk about in a second. And they're simply telling you that these things are a problem assessing toxicity like so the idea is how is it possible we can know about this for so long here it is in orange county nationwide pfas study reveals shockingly high contamination in orange county in 2022 what they do as far as i can tell absolutely nothing here are some studies just kind of showing you that they've been studying this. This one is from 2022 as well. Exposure to environmentally relevant levels of PFAS. And I think the point was, it says a... Same thing here. Let's see. Little data exists on these, which is crazy. Think about how is that possible when they've been studying this for, for a decade, right? I don't believe there's little data. I don't think they want you to know what they're finding. And it's saying that a metabolic, a metabolic response was detected in all concentrations, meaning it doesn't matter if it's a small amount or not. It's affecting your body in ways that do affect you in like in all the kind of ways we're talking about. And then also point out that in line with the literature, oh, it says it says PFOS specifically is found to be to bioaccumulate just just like the dioxins. And it seems almost like that's meant to be here. Here's another one. This one just oh this was just to show you that the pointly the point is simply that the PFOA is a widely used PFAS discussion and then this one is why I showed you that this is in 1993 mortality among employees where that is found 1993 it's saying that that's been found at low levels in in the blood of the general population in 1993. But people don't even know. And they're now only now. Think Okay, think about it like this. This is a problematic version. This is one of the problematic PFAS points. And they're only today going, oh, 40% potential reduction in fertility. 40%. But in 1993, they already knew it was in most people's blood. That's how broken this is, guys. They don't care about you. And at higher levels, in occupational workers exposed. And these are people that work in certain areas where that's a high level. And then I had this highlighted as well. Uh, what was just, there was one crux of the point here. I think it said the present study examined the relationship, but it's basically the mortality. And it says there was, uh, where was it? Oh, it was associated with a 3.3 fold increase. So three times your increase of mortality. Great. And, oh, you know, excuse me, in prostate cancer mortality. Oh, so, so still, so basically you get prostate cancer, but your risk of dying from it increases three times compared to no employment production of, P, of, P, of PFAS. But it's saying there were only six prostate cancer deaths. The result must be, where was it? I think that was generally it. So, you know, the point is it's not an extreme focus, but it's increasing your risk of death. 
by three times. Doesn't that matter? If it's in everyone's blood? I guess not. Just to make it very current, here's legislation on the books. Protect Drinking Water from PFAS Act of 2021. The bill requires, guess who? The EPA to address the level of specifically PFAS in drinking water. I guess they just didn't care, right? This has been two years later. PFAS are man-made and may have adverse, no, may, I mean, seriously, in 2021, may have adverse effects. No, they do, and they know that, have adverse effects. A variety of products contain PFAS, such as nonstick cookware, waterproof clothing, and everything around you in the ground and everything else. In addition, the EPA must publish a maximum contaminant level which as far as I could tell, I don't know that they've done that. I have, maybe it's out there somewhere. It's hard to tell. And promulgate a national primary drinking water regulation. The MCLG and regulation must be protective of the health of subpopulations that may be at greater risk than the general population. So again, back to the point of the people working in areas that produce it. Why we allow it is beyond me. Either way, to pretend that the EPA doesn't know about this is just naive, stupid it's obvious they know it's obvious they don't care and it's obvious they're shipping the stuff around the country with dioxins and pfas and god knows what else and now it's just spilt on the side of the road who ultimately knows the level of severity but they don't care you should now on another level of obfuscation let's talk about the emergency use authorization in regard to the covid19 conversation which i do think is very important because as we shift out of one illusion, other ones are popping up. And I think that or rather just obfuscation and, and, you know, lies. But I do. We've talked about this a few times already. And th- this is an interesting development because, I mean, I think this has been designed to be confusing and be almost impossible to understand to the point to where it doesn't even seem they're following their own rules. But it doesn't matter because barely anybody can keep up with how this overlaps. Now, CC shared this saying, so why are they still jabbing under emergency use authorization? Are they breaking the law? Now, first of all, what they're saying is that this is going to end on. Uh, they basically relate, basically, as I understand it, it's supposed to end on the 11th of May. Now, yes, they passed this on April 10th, but it just simply says, which terminates the national emergency related to. Well, I mean, I guess arguably they're trying to, they're saying that it's now is April 10th, despite in, April 11th was the day they were talking about, but this legislation essentially stops, brings it. You know, to a halt earlier. Now, that the point is not about April 10th versus May. It's about whether or not they're still able to issue emergency use authorizations, which we've already talked about how the EP or the the FDA has already altered the way this works. We are we made this clear last time. So it's kind of irrelevant ultimately. They're they don't think these people even cared or even believe they have to follow their own rules and laws anymore. But Rich People Weekly points out, and this is important, just a heads up that the PREP Act, which is another part of this, the coverage therein will actually continue until at least October 1st, 2024. So my point to make here is not only that this has been illegal the entire time, regardless of whether this has ended, because of the simple fact that they do have viable alternatives. And we have proven that this is not even as dangerous as they claimed it was. We have proven that these things are dangerous. All of these, on top of the fact that they have themselves are claiming or have approved versions that have never even been used, but still legally speaking, they have approved versions, which all of those things are supposed to undermine or stop the idea that they can emergency authorize anything in that same vein. But talking about the PREP Act specifically first, since he mentions it, here is his point. 
So this is this is separate than the different public emergency declarations or determinations, which I'll get into in a moment. The weird differentiation and seemingly meant to be confusing EUA declaration versus the determination or actually both determination and declaration under 319 health and human services. It's, it's, I'll show you what I mean. It's meant to be completely confusing, but the specifically EUA declaration is the one that's different than the HHS one that's specifically the FDA. Before both of those, though, the PREP Act has been amended as of March 11th, 2021. And the point is here, it just simply makes the, the point that all of these things, effective time period, last until ex basically extended through October is what it says. October 2024. And you can read through each one of them. It's talking about liability protections for any respiratory protective device approved by this or that. And, you know, so basically that extends through October 2024, which this is about liability. Right. So these people are, are you know, immune from liability, which is kind of ridiculous. And that should have never been the case. Covered countermeasures includes injections, liability protections for all covered countermeasures administered and used in accordance with the public health. And this one's interesting to me. These are updates, right, where they go and alter these and update them and, and make them more current. And they continue to add new things that were, you know, not liable for you who were able to sue. But either way, his point is correct. that These things all seem to go till October 1st, 2024. Which can keep that in your mind as we talk about the next part and ask yourself how these things actually make sense. Right. So if they're no longer liable, even though the emergency has gone. Until October. So what happens if somebody, what happens then if something goes wrong? They're not under emergency authorization if we have the emergency ended or, and I'll show you what I mean after past a certain point, but yet if they're not liable, like who then is accountable? Like this just seems like it's meant to, like to put us in a position of uncertainty so we don't know what to do. And then they can just do whatever they want, which is always what seems to happen. Just my general opinion. But let's first start with the emergency use authorization page and show you what this says. Son of a gun. That's quite frustrating. This one I did need to be highlighted. So I'm trying to use different services too, guys. And it's just, this always seems to happen, but let's go through this. So it says, maybe it was down here. No, yeah, dang it. Okay. I did have a good amount of stuff on here. Let me grab this. Let me look real quick. No. Maybe I didn't. Let me just make sure I don't miss anything. I'm pretty sure I had something on here I wanted to show you guys before we went to this next page in regard to the free, the questions and the breakdown of what's actually going on, at least according to them. Oh, it was this. Okay, good. I'm glad this this was the only part right here. I'm glad I glad I remembered. So what it says here under the page for emergency use authorization, and this is current as of March 31st, 2023. It's saying, please note a determination. In case I want to highlight something, a determination under Section 319 of the Public Health Service Act. So a determination. Now, these, these words are important. Now, what's weird is they can refer to 319, and that's in regard to the HHS and the public health emergency, under either a determination or a declaration, which is just confusing. But when they talk about the FDA side of this and their ability to issue an emergency use authorization declaration for, let's say, a vaccine or something else, that's a separate thing under Section uh, 564 for the FDA. But 
the 564 version for the EUA declaration is only possible when the health, health and human services under Section 319 declares this emergency. Already it's confusing, right? But the point is, even though this 319 version of it ends, there's all these ridiculous loopholes and caveats that allow that to continue for emergency use authorizations from the FDA side. I'll show you what I mean. Regardless of whether this is written down, that doesn't make it justifiable, guys. This is, in my opinion, meant to be kind of impossible and go on forever. There's always a way they can keep this going forever. Now, what it says is that the determination under Section 319 of the Public Health Service Act that a public health emergency exists, such as the one issued on January 31st, 2020, does not, does not enable the FDA to issue EUAs. Now, the reason they're saying that is because just that determination does not then immediately open the door for the FDA to do so. The HHS has to make its own allowance for the FDA to do so. Now, it says on February 4th, 2020, the HHS secretary determined that there was a public health emergency that has a significant potential to affect national security or the health of the security of the United States citizens living abroad and blah, blah, blah. This whole statement is important because it's the same thing they use, and that's the FDA side of this. Which is just, I mean, why we need both of those things is kind of ridiculous to me. I think it's meant to be confusing. But so on February 4th, 2020, is when the FDA was essentially allowed to issue these. Now, it says subsequent HHS declarations supporting the use of EUAs and based on this determination are described in the blue boxes below. And that's where it gets into, you know, specifically, in this case, vaccines, right? You can see Johnson & Johnson. You can see Moderna, Pfizer, same thing. So that's this is the point. That those things were allowed under the FDA because of the February 4th determination after the, de- the, ter- the declaration of the public health emergency. Now, here's where this gets even more impossibly ridiculous. Well, actually, I take it back. The next one is on frequently asked questions. What happens to EUAs when a public health emergency ends? So if you're following so far, and I know this, this is meant to be confusing. So when the 319 Public Health Service Act declaration of an emergency ends. That's what we're talking about. From the HHS's perspective, what happens? And the big question is what happens to the FDA's side of this in regard to their EUAs for vaccines, masks, whatever else, right? So on March 13th, 2023, it says the HHS has announced that based on current COVID-19 trends, the department is planning for the COVID-19 public health emergency declared under the Public Health Service Act, that's the one we're talking about, to expire on May 11th. Now, the, the, the legislation just ended early, but it's the same point. What happens when that ends? In the, in the Federal Register of March, and, and the, the first question I always have is, so if, if the emergency's over, then why can you elsewhere argue there still remains an emergency? Doesn't that seem ridiculous? But it says in the Federal Register of March 13th, the FDA published a notice addressing the agency's COVID-19 related guidance documents. I'll show you next, including which of those guidance documents will no longer be in effect after the expiration of the public health emergency issued, issued by the HHS or declared, and which of those guidance documents the FDA is revising to temporarily continue in effect. Okay. So right there, you can see that if the FDA is able to arbitrarily just revise them when the the logic is that due to this, they should be ending, what does it even matter? It seems kind of arbitrary. Or you tell me what you think when I get to it. Importantly, it says the ending of the public health emergency declared by the HHS under the Public Health Service Act, that's the that's 319, will not impact FDA's ability, they say, to authorize devices, tests, 
treatments or vaccines for emergency use. Existing emergency use authorizations for products will remain in effect and the agency may continue to issue new emergency use authorizations going forward when, of course, criteria for issuance are met. So you're, you're standing up and going, the emergency's over. But because of these loophole arguments and caveats, we're going to say you can still declare that you can emergency authorize things that have already been allowed. So the point is, again, that the existing, or rather just simply their ability to authorize these devices that they've already been given allowance to do so, they can continue to do. I don't believe that makes sense at all. It's bureaucracy. But let's go through what their arguments are. It says, can emergency use authorizations continue after the public health emergency is over? And then if so, can the FDA continue to do the same thing we just read? Now, here's where it gets into the explanation. It says, under Section 319 of the Public Health Service Act, the HHS secretary can issue a determination, and this is why I think it's meant to be confusing. It says, also referred to as a declaration, that a public health emergency exists. That's the original one from the very beginning. The declaration generally lasts for 90 days, but may be extended. That's the, the this document we've looked at a lot and proven to you, even with this last one, by the way, if it would have been to Mar May, uh, May 11th, would have been illegal. It would have gone one day past, which is just hilarious to me. I'll come back to that in a moment. But so the point is that those are the ones that re need to be reinitiated every 90 days. But it says, a Section 319 Public Health Emergency Declaration does not, just like the other page, enable the FDA to issue these EUAs. A Section 319 Public Health Emergency Declaration allows the HHS to take appropriate action in response to the emergency, which one of those actions is then allowing the FDA to begin initiating. It, it's just, it seems like this unnecessary step. Like, if they declare an emergency, why would they need to dole out the ability to do this if the, if the emergency has been acknowledged and the FDA is the one that makes those decisions? It just seems like bureaucracy. That's the actual definition where the HHS just, do, just has to say, yes, go ahead. Do the thing. You know, it, it seems kind of silly. But either way, that's what ultimately happened. And it's saying that the HHS secretary issued a Section 319 public health emergency declaration for COVID-19 in January 2020 and extended it every three months until May 11th, but in fact, ended early due to the legislation. But here's where it gets interesting. If you're still following, separate declarations sometimes referred to as, quote, EUA declarations under Section 564 of the FDA Cosmetic Act, also issued by the HHS secretary, enable the issuance of EUAs. So what is the difference here? If the HHS is still the one that issues these to allow the FDA to, make, to do them under its own Section 564 FDA Act, is this just not some loophole to keep these things going when you've just ended the emergency simply because you argue that they should be allowed to continue to do them based on the emergency you just ended because you gave them that ability? Like this sounds like a, a again, meant to be impossibly stupid. So it just people just go, well, there must be something I'm missing. Before the FDA can issue an EUA, the HHS secretary must declare that circumstances exist justifying the authorization. And that may sound like the first part of it, but remember, that's the confusing part here, that they're two separate things. First one, 319, declared on January 31st, the emergency. But again, this uh, second part where it says February 4th is the exact phrasing. Determined that a public health emergency exists, a significant potential to affect national security. That's the point. That's my point here, is that that's what changed 
in the second part. Like it just doesn't, I mean, it seems like may, I mean, I, there's so I, same point. I feel like I just want to reiterate to people that ultimately this seems contradictory almost. It's saying that they, it, the, unlike the section 319 declaration that expires, if not extended. Oh, the, sorry. This, before I get to that, before the FDA can issue this, they have to declare that circumstances exist as it's saying right there to justify this. But wouldn't you argue that that declaration of emergency was that? Why do they need to declare an emergency, then stand up and declare that circumstances exist to justify the EUA as two separate things? Why The circumstances exist if you just declared the emergency. This is bureaucracy. Now, it says, unlike the Section 319 public health emergency declaration that expires, if not extended, every 90 days, the EUA declaration, see the specific terminology, under Section 564 of the FDNC Act, generally continues, whatever that means, until the HHS secretary terminates it. So again, the crux of the point, why would you allow emergency authorization of injections to continue when the argument is we're not in an emergency anymore? And the only reason you need an emergency authorization is because you're in a desperate situation where you don't have the ability or the time to do the right thing. It's, it, this is obvious. Now it says the EUA declaration is distinct from and not dependent on, God knows why, the HHS Public Health Emergency Declaration. So you see, these are the different points. The EUA declaration is one thing, but then the Public Health Emergency Declaration or determination, whichever one they decide to use in the moment to make it confusing, is 319. And it says, and therefore, the EUA may remain in effect, apparently, beyond the duration of the 319 Public Health Emergency. You understand? Does that make sense? I think it's designed not to. Or rather, if you do understand it, which I believe I have a handle on it now, that it's just an, a way to maintain the circumvention of the actual way these are supposed to go to keep you safe under the guise of an emergency that they just said no longer exists. EUAs may remain authorized and new. This is the one that I can't even, even within this argument, why are they able to initiate issue new emergency use authorizations? And it says they may continue being issued as long as the applicable EUA declaration of termination remains in effect, which means not the public health emergency, but because the, the HHS has given them the authorization to dole these things out for vaccines. But why does that stay in effect if the emergency is over? I haven't seen anybody logically explain that to me. And I have asked. Now, it says whether the FDA can continue to issue EUAs depends in part on whether any applicable EUA declarations, which are based on emergency threat determinations under 564 of the FDA, remain in effect. That, that, that just made it clear, right, as clear as it can be, that the fact that they've allowed the FDA 564 declarations to remain, even though they've ended the 319 public health of emergency. The HHS secretary issued a determination under Section 564 of the FDNC Act, initially issued February 4th, and amended March 15th. So ask yourself why they step, stepped in and amended this on March 15th and amended this one on March 11th. Or which one was it? This one? In any case, the point is that they have updated this right before they decide to change this. Now, what did they do? I'll show you next. But it says that there is a public health emergency or significant potential for public health emergency that has affected the same thing national security and health of U.S. citizens. So all they did was essentially amend it on March 15th to keep this going. If the HHS secretary terminates the EUA declaration, the 319 level, 
then any EUAs issued based on that declaration will cease to be in effect. And the FDA may no longer issue EUAs for products covered by that declaration. Now, I take that back. See, this is where it's meant to be confusing. What they mean, and again, that's my own fault because I was hyper, I'm trying to point out that the specific terminology matters. What they're pointing at there is the 564 version. If they terminate the EUA declaration. So that means the HHS has to step up and say, FDA, for whatever reason, just arbitrarily, we're ending your emergency use authorization ability for vaccines in the context of COVID-19. So they need to separately do that, even though they've ended the emergency. That's stupid. It says the Section 564 of the FDNC Act notes certain instances where they can be continued to use the EUA products even when they terminate the EUA declaration. So here's my point. All that aside, even when everything's done the weird broken way they say it's supposed to be done to stop it all, that apparently there are still ways they can circumvent that and go, well, we need to because emergency. So what does it matter? This seems like a ridiculous, intentionally manipulated process. That, by the way, they recently changed. This is the publication date on this was three. Oh, what was this one? Let me make sure I didn't accidentally close it. Hold on one sec. This was the amendment, right? Yeah, right here. Here we go. Okay, yeah, that's the right one. Okay. So this was amended last month. Here's what it says today. The COVID-19 Emergency Use Authorization Declaration. Now it says, March 15th, 2023, this, this last month, the Secretary amended the February 4th, 2020 determination. That's not the Public Health 319 one. That's the FDA version for their emergency use authorizations. He amended that. Pursuant to Section 564, as we said, and determined pursuant to his authority under Section 564, that there is a public health emergency or a significant potential for public health emergency that affects or has significant potential to affect national security, same thing. You want to explain that to me? So this is really interesting. So from the HHS perspective, they've ended the 319 public health emergency, but have allowed the FDA to continue to operate under the emergency use authorization ability, even though that emergency has been has just ended. But... On March 15th, just before this, they amended the the 564 version for the FDA to literally state that there is still a public emergency. Don't those seem contradictory? They're literally saying that, yes, there is still an emergency, and that's why this needs to continue. I just don't even know how to make sense of that. That's ridiculous. Then it goes on to say, the, H, the Secretary of HHS may issue an EUA authorizing, one, the emergency use of an unapproved drug or unapproved or unclear device or unlicensed biological product or an unapproved animal drug, which is already happening, by the way. The animal part we'll get to at the end of the show today. Number two, an unapproved use of an unapproved drug, approved or cleared device, licensed biological product or conditionally approved animal drug. This is, this, this is what is still going to continue to happen, even though the emergency is over. Based on what exactly? Here is the guidance documents they're putting out to tell you essentially what's going to be stopping and going forward. Now, this is this is directly from the HHS part of it. For those that are still following along, the, the point is that this is 
the documentation from the HHS level that they're no longer going to be in effect, which has seemingly no effect on the FDA's ability to offer the EUAs for these individual products. It says the notice address, this notice addresses the 72, apparently there's 72 of them, COVID-19 related guidance documents that are currently in effect. That's pretty crazy. In light of the HHS's recent announcement that the public health emergency declaration is expected to expire May 11th, FDA has reviewed these COVID-related guidance documents and examined whether any of these guidance should be continued past the PHS declaration. The guidance documents listed in Section 5, or that's just for me, essentially, like they're talking about ones will be revised or not revised. I'm just going to skip cut to the chase. This one, Table 1, guidance documents that will no longer be in effect. Now, you can read through those. There, it's a lot of them, but none of the ones that we're really looking for specifically. Public health emergency policy on sanitation tunnels. So these ones are removing. You won't be surprised to find the ones that are staying. The crux of the point, table three, documents the FDA is revi- re- re- excuse me, revisiting, if I can say that, to continue in effect for 180 days after the PHS, the public health emergency expires with then plans to just revise the guidance. Okay, so you so you're extending it for 180 days, okay, and then you're just going to revise it. So why are you pretending there's a, the, a, the middle ground? This is just going to continue because they want it to. And one of those things, emergency use authorization for vaccines to prevent COVID-19. Why? Because we're in an emergency? No. Because COVID's dangerous? No. Because these things are helping people? Well, no. But let's just emergency authorize them so we can continue to dance this line of no accountability. Because approved injections have a much different legal standing. That's the reality, guys. And that's why the military is being sued for lying about using the approved versions. Development and licensure of vaccines to prevent them. So not only are they going to continue to issue the ones they've issued, but they're going to continue to make and license more of them under EUAs, even though this is no longer an emergency and never was. That's the point you really need to understand. It's incredible. Now, here's the HHS's website that shows you the 319 version, which you can see it says right there under 319. And you can see clearly that February 9th was the last time they renewed the COVID-19 emergency. But as I said before, had it actually went to May 11th, well, guess what? That would have been a crime or rather the, the issuance of these under that would have continued to be a crime. Well, again, to the point we just made about the idea that the FDA can seemingly just do what they want, even when this ends, they would argue not. I would argue otherwise, because if you're not in an emergency, I don't see how you continue to pretend this is allowed. But I also want to point out their monkeypox emergency still exists, even though that's just no longer even talked about. And how much you want to bet they're going to renew it when the time comes, because that's how this works. Now, here's a fact sheet for their health emergency transition roadmap, try, essentially telling you what's going to happen after the emergency ends. And as they try to sell you all their garbage about why they succeeded, exactly like we told you they would. It says the Department of Health and Human Services is planning for the federal public health emergency for COVID-19 declared under Section 319 to expire May 11th. But it says, guess what, guys? As a result of this and other efforts, their you know, vaccination and, and lockdowns and what they tell you worked since the peak of Omicron. Daily COVID vaccine reports are down 92 percent. COVID deaths are down by over 80 percent. And new COVID hospitalizations, yeah, which has nothing to do if that was ever what was going on with their actions. Meanwhile, as they continue to ignore all the vaccine deaths and all the vaccine side effects and all the vaccine hospitalizations, which they don't include 
unless they want to blame it on COVID-19. But you see, now they wanted to pretend like it's going away so they can say we did it. So they're just not pointing at it anymore. Simple as that. And of course, arguing at something else, baffling brain disease, baffling heart attacks, and then realize that even within their narrative, this is even what was happening, not just the flu and PCR false positives, that their argument was Omicron was less dangerous. That's their argument, guys. So how are you going to say it's less dangerous and argue that was because of the vaccine, even though you blame the variant on unvaccinated people? I mean, they are so lost in their own lies, it's just impossible not to laugh at this. But it says, we come, we have come to this point in our fight against the virus because our historic investments and our efforts to mitigate its worst impacts. We did it, guys. Mission accomplished. Didn't, didn't you know that was coming? If we told you this would happen, like, it just, they just take credit. Yeah, we did it. It's over only because we did what we were supposed to. Or except they all told us we didn't and we would never get out of this. But here we are. But it says there will also be continued access to pathways for emergency use authorizations for COVID-19 products through the FDA. And major telehealth flexibilities will continue to exist for participating Medicare, Medicare. Okay, so there you are again. We're just going to keep doing it even though we just told you it's going to be ending because, well, we gave them authority and we're just going to let them keep running with it. You know, because safety and whatever. (laughs) Sure. So I hope people could follow along with that, even though I think it's meant to be impossible. But all of the source materials here for you guys, you can look through this for yourself. Maybe I'm getting something wrong. Feel free to dive into it. This this is just on the surface, I think, about, about maintaining their control over us. My opinion. But read it for yourself, guys, and all the docs are here for you to look through. Now, on a couple points before I finish with the mRNA conversation, here, Biden administration launches $5 billion an effort, $5 billion effort to develop new COVID injections. April 11th. Right, so as we're seeing that they're going to continue that effort and the continual emergency authorization, well, the the money system, the the there's a lot of angles to point at here. Obviously, the, the money laundering and transition of money, wealth exchange, or, you know, the COVID-19 uh, wealth grab, so on. But then also we have the profiteering of the pharmaceutical companies and the whole, the allowing of the EUAs to continue. It allows the gravy chain, to, the gravy train to continue flowing. That doesn't mean we're going to keep taking these dangerous things, but they'll keep using your tax dollars to fund them, though, as long as they argue it's in your best interest, even though we know it's not. So my point is the $5 billion effort to continue this and allow the new ones are because they know they're still allowing them to be emergency authorized, which loop, which removes liability. This is a perfect, this is, this is going to be the way I argue it will always be going forward. So those people will never be liable for what they do. The Biden administration is launching the new initiative to speed up the development. Right. You know, the, the plug and play platform that they're pumping out in four weeks, they're going to do it faster. Less safety for your safety, guys. Just in case we have future threats. As always. Well, Vigilant Fox also points out, and we can prove this, guys. This is new. Not, I, mean, I think we've even referenced this exact point. Pfizer knew 31% more people died in the vaccine group than the placebo. Proper histopathology would indicate whether the vaccine caused any of the deaths. Because remember, they just kicked them off and say it was something else. In the 21 vaccinated patients who died. Pfizer never did it, histopathology. The FDA never asked for it. Why? Because we're watching a scam. We are being lied to. The article's there. All the stats are in there. You can read it for yourself. But we know this. The, de- the evidence is clear today. Their own phase three trials have been reevaluated to show you that they are actually hurting you. Their data shows that. But people want to keep hiding from it. 
Now, lastly, the real concern for me over all of this is that these things are not just being used on people, guys. It's being rolled out in ways that we I'm terrified of. I think it was Bhakti or plenty of others have made their point that this has already been done to animals. And I'm not talking about cows and livestock. I'm talking about your cats, your dogs. They've already rolled out this market. And that's one of the reasons some of these people argue they're pulling back on their human injections because they already have a cash cow where they're less concerned. People are checking less. They're using worse ingredients. They're making more money. It says, currently, there are no mRNA vaccines in use in the United States to protect cows from coronavirus that cause COVID-19. Now, here's the way they play this game. Now, I don't even believe that, to be quite honest. But the game is, we're not talking about only COVID injections. We're simply talking about mRNA injections for animals and whether that then causes the problem, which we are concerned about, whether it's shedding or transferring somehow or altering their DNA and having that translate. All these things, are they matter. But of course, what they do with their fact checks is go fake news because of the half story or so what they pretend you're trying to say. Well, here, well, and then one more point. This is all coming from Renz, and I'll show you his uh, his uh, posts. The MCBA statement correcting internet falsehoods. Bottom line, they're going, we're not using these things. There's nothing even approved or allowed right now. Well, we do. they are, and we'll prove it to you. But the point is, they don't want you to know that. What it's saying is there are no current mRNA vaccines licensed for use. Now, does that include emergency use authorization? Maybe not. Maybe that's how they're sidestepping that. But either way, they're going, no, no, it's not true. Well, first of all, Tom Rance is pointing out the lobbyists for the Cattlemen and Pork Associations in several states have all confirmed independently that they will be using mRNA vaccines in pigs and cows this month. And this was April. So it's this month. We must support Missouri. He's saying HB 1169. It is literally the only chance we have to prevent this. Now, I wouldn't say that. I'm sure there's... I believe this is the legislative legislative direction can have an effect. I just have no faith today in how these politicians operate or that your actions have any effect on what they do. But regardless, we need to stop this. No one knows of the impacts of doing this, but we're all potentially facing the risks. Now, you you can look further than this, and it's not hard to find. Here's an actual video he shared, which, by the way, I'm very frustrated about. I tried really hard to find this video. It's, It's essentially someone's video, I think it's his, of his phone showing this local discussion. And it's local, so it's probably why it's hard to find. But I, I, I believe this happened, and I believe regardless of this statement, we can prove this is happening. But what it says is, here's the National Cattlemen's Association. They say there is no mRNA in their cows. That was the link I just showed you. Below are clips edited for time. Now, I don't see clips. I see one clip. That's what I looked at earlier. So I'm wondering if that's, maybe I'm missing something here at other points he was making. In any case... It says, it's uh, the lobbyist from the Missouri Cattlemen's Association before the Missouri House. And he sends, says something uh, different. Also, as a reminder, Congress removed the country of origin labeling requirements from food. So if we don't have disclosure laws, like the one he's talking about, Missouri, on sellers, then who knows what's in our food? And really, whether or not we have labels, who knows then still, guys, we live in a, a very corrupt society right now. We do know that mRNA is transmissible through milk. And I agree with that when ingested based on this study. It's the one he's talking about. And I, and I or actually, was that the one? Make sure. Yeah, well, see, what's interesting is that's one of them, but I've already shown you plenty that talked about our VAERS reports or plenty of other peer-reviewed studies that find that this can, in fact, translate. And I'll show you one of them in a moment that actually very clearly finds that. Well, I mean, I'll bring it up. I'll show you now. January 2023. This is the NIH National Library of Medicine. 
And it's very clear what it says is their milk samples from women who received an mRNA vaccine contain trace amounts of mRNA. Now, that right there contradicts the idea that it does not translate. A small amount is too much. But it goes on to say 36 of 40 samples in one study. That's a lot. Now, one of them found only five and 309. But either way, it's still being proven in every single case to have some of it translating. But over here, it says the highest concentration was two MCG per liter in one study. The average concentration was 70 NG per liter in another. Trace amounts of mRNA were found in the milk of five of 11 women, five of 11, 11, 11 women who received an mRNA vaccine. I mean, there's no debating this, guys, and they're still pretending. Look up fact checks right now. You'll find 20 of them saying that's fake news. It's just, it's pathetic. But the point is that that, as well as plenty of others, are proving that, yes, it can pass through breast milk. So if you're ingesting this that can then pass into your body, or if you drink the milk or so on, and I'll make that point again, we pointed out with Dr. McCullough's point, that's already being shown to happen from cow's milk. It's actually being used with cow's milk to inoculate mice using the same problem. You're using mRNA milk to inoculate mice because they drank it. This is all happening in real time. So it says, we the people are not stupid. We've been lied to. Now, I'm just going to let you listen to what he said. What he's telling you is despite what he just, he's, he followed the people saying it wasn't happening. He stood there and said, we're doing it. Not, not because he wants to, but because that's what they're being told to do. Mr. Chairman, Shannon Cooper tonight representing the uh, Missouri Cattlemen's Association. I'll try and speed this up. Uh, I am not a doctor. I have flunked out, been kicked out, or dropped out of every major institution of higher education in the state of Missouri. This is probably one of the most poorly drafted pieces of legislation I've seen this session. Any entity that produces, that's my members, that sells, that's my members, or distributes a product in this state, that's my members. With the capacity to infect an individual with a disease or expose an individual to a genetically modified material, this past week when most of you were on spring break in uh, Florida enjoying the sun, I sold a load of cattle. That load of cattle that I sold had been double vaccinated with vaccinations that have this mRNA, which I don't know anything about other than I Googled a while ago. And I bought a load of cattle. And you know what I did the next morning after I brought those calves home? I vaccinated every one of those against bovine respiratory disease. See? It has nothing to do with the argument about COVID-19, but I'm sure that's happening too. That'd be my opinion. But see, this is incredible that we can have on the record putting out these statements, clearly being directed by some government entity to lie about this because it's happening. You can you can show many examples of the own, their own lobbyists speaking up and saying that's not true. And he on the record. All right. So here is the uh, Tom Rentz's uh, substack. Biotech admits Gates uh, GMO factory food is 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 a gene therapy. Here is one from Robert Malone. mRNA vaccines in livestock and companion animals are now here. It's very clear this is happening. The data is very clear. The point is that the government and even the organizations are lying to you about it. Now, my God, if we're watching the EPA lie about what they're supposed to be protecting you from, and we're watching other entities like the FDA and others lie to you about what they're supposed to be protecting you from, not only should we realize that the government is absolutely being captured in these agencies and that they absolutely don't care about you, but we need to ask what else is going on. 
what's being done to us that's so important that they they it can't I mean it can't just be we don't we just don't care and it's about money that can't be it it's bigger than that there's a massive effort happening here where they're actively lying to you from the very agencies they're that they claim the job is to protect you from these very things it's very concerning now here is the one the study pointed at an oral vaccine for SARS-CoV-2 mRNA bovine milk derived exomes induces a naturalizing antibody response in vivo milk derived that's the same point. It's the same discussion as the rat or the mice in China. This is also in China. The point here, guys, is that this one is not only showing you that they do have mRNA bovine, you know, discussions, but these are this is the trans translation through milk. And on top of that, we're just since I, we're on that point, here was the Dr. Peter McCullough shared this Chinese successfully loaded cow's milk with mRNA and it was absorbed in the GI tract of recipients. Concerns about surreptitious insertion of mRNA are valid. Now, wait, I, I thought it said, yeah, it did say mice. So I'm, I believe these are two separate things because this is talking about. Oh, okay, it was mice. I guess I misread the title. I had assumed this was about the the bovine. I only grabbed this because it was in his, uh, his links he shared on this tweet right here. Get, make sure you follow what he's talking about because he's been hot on this topic for weeks now, even longer. And the, but the point, nonetheless, same discussion is that they've done this. This is what they're arguing anyway, that they've used cow's milk loaded with mRNA exosomes and they've in- inoculated these mice. That's terrifying to me, especially since we just talked about this, discussing grow and eat your own vaccines, 2021, University of California, plants as mRNA factories for edible vaccines, 2021. These are not new topics. Don't forget, we've got Elon Musk and his micro mRNA factories and all these overlaps. Like this is a real direction happening right now. We just told you that we know that this does translate. mRNA does translate. This is in their milk samples from women who have taken mRNA shots. Now, on the last couple of points, Derek just wrote about Mexico battling against the U.S. government. Why? Because they are trying to force them to use GMO corn. Now, why is that? Is that because of profit? Maybe, maybe, but maybe there is actually something else going on. Something so surreptitious, so evil that they're forcing this stuff in a lot of different ways on you for some kind of larger end. I don't know why I would be afraid to ask that question with all this stuff happening. That's crazy to me. Oh, and somebody's commenting on the chat. I didn't point at that. That also, he shares in his discussion here that it says, uh, this is uh, the Gateway Pundit, lab-grown chicken meat will soon be in stores. Now, look, I'm very concerned about this. The way this is going and the way it's being used, that's disgusting to me. It's, I, it, creeps, it makes my skin crawl, but, like I used to say, it makes my teeth hurt, right? But the point is, I don't have a problem with things being available. Bugs or whatever else. The point is, it's being when it's being forced on you, which I do agree, that's what's happening. It's very surreptitious and kind of underneath it where they're kind of acting like it's just right. I see it, they're removing choices while pushing this forward. It's kind of the same thing. But all I want to point out is that it's just, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have come up in the past that aren't necessarily forced on you. It's like, I think choice is okay, regardless of how gross and weird and, you know, whatever else. But I do believe there's agenda around this. That's the same reason we've got Bill Gates buying farmland involved with fake milk and fake meat. I mean, it, it's not just because they believe that's the future. They've continually been involved with the worst, the GMO catastrophe, creating less, more food scarcity in the areas they put them in, despite the claim being the opposite. GMO injections that kill people instead of helping them. Now, gee, what's this going to do then? We should ask that. But I think there's more going on. 
and how this is working and what's being done to certain things and being forced on us. I mean, I think there's a bigger picture here. Now, in 2022, they were already talking about an mRNA-based rabies vaccine induces strong protective, already producing responses in dogs. Now, let's, let's remember, they're mRNA injections. Very quick. Four weeks, a month, two months, boom, we're out there. We're, we're already using them. This is November 2022. I've heard plenty of experts tell us these things are already in use. That scares the hell out of me. Last, 2021. The veterinarian vaccines market sees innovation with mRNA and toxoid vaccines gaining importance. As per the business research company's veterinary vaccines global market report, 2021. And that's the point. If they were doing this and rising this up in 2021, I can almost guarantee you they're being used right now. That scares me, guys. I mean, that, what, what is that shedding on people? Is that translating? Is that making them more sick? Is it causing all sorts of things? Is it making the dogs more prone to illness? Do they even care? Regardless, realize all the different things that we're pointing out are potential here. The fact that these things by themselves are deadly. We shouldn't be hiding from that today. These injections are killing people. And that's just one aspect of this. I believe there's something bigger here, but you guys can think for yourselves. Well, what happens when this becomes so ubiquitous, like the glyphosate problem, that it's just kind of irrelevant? Or the dioxin problem, or the PFAS problem, they just create it so ubiquitously, they're like, well, it's too late now. That's what I'm worried about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for tuning in today. Continuing to share the work. Continue to support the last American vagabond. We can't do this without you guys, as always. We need your support because we're never going to stop. We're going to continue to fight for you and the truth and the information that you deserve as long as we're able. As long as you believe in us, we believe in you. So let's keep this moving. And we have lots to grow, lots to do, lots more coming your way. I have an interview I'll be putting out tomorrow with uh, Freddie Ponton of what's going on in France. It would have been good to put out today, but I wanted to get to a show. We talked about the, the issue with Macron and China and the, you know, him transacting in the yuan and how that's affecting the relationship with the U.S. and whether that might be a regime change action from the U.S. A lot of crazy stuff happening. As people are fighting for control over you, it's ultimately what's happening. So thank you for being here and remaining critical and objective. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. What if the experts are wrong? What if quarantining the healthy doesn't actually save lives? What if wearing a mask in public is not effective? If you do not have a mask, you cannot ride public transportation, sir. My name is Dr. Jeff Barkey, and I'm here representing thousands of physicians across the country whose voices are being silenced because we don't agree with the mainstream media and the experts who are telling us what to do. Everything I've seen in the last nine days, all the things that just don't make sense, the patients I'm seeing in front of me, the lungs I'm trying to improve, have led me to believe that COVID-19 is not this disease and that we are operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. Never in the history of this great republic have we quarantined the healthy? Never in the history of this great republic have we told churchgoers that it's illegal for you to exercise your First Amendment right to freedom of religion.
by purchasing a firearm. When liquor stores are deemed essential, but your businesses are deemed non-essential, there's something wrong going on. We called people's utilities this week and made them pay what could have been their last check to us to turn their lights on in a global health pandemic. But you don't care about that. You didn't want to meet. This booklet, the Declaration of Independence and our U.S. Constitution, was never designed to restrain the people. It was designed to restrain the government. We're realizing that the fatality rate of this virus is in the ballpark of a bad seasonal influenza. Do not let your voices be silenced. Eventually, that this government-imposed cure is going to be worse than the virus itself. Stop! Help! Stop! Help, man! This shit ain't right, bro. But what's happening now as unemployment reaches 20 to 30 million people is those folks are now becoming dependent on the government. And what government dependency causes is a larger, more tyrannical government. We the people want to put our government back in its place. We want a small representative government, not a large tyrannical government. I'm here representing thousands of physicians around the country whose voices must be heard. We've never seen where we quarantine the healthy, where you take those without disease and without symptoms and lock them in your home. So you guys are asking me to leave the store for not wearing a mask when I have a medical condition, even though yours is pulled under your nose. A note that says I don't have to bring a note, and yours isn't even on. Just do whatever you want to do. It's America, right? Listen, I cannot wear a mask. Get out! Do not let your voices be silenced. 